Back in 1996, a single legal provision in the US created actually the incentive structure for the web as we know it. That was section 230. Now, there is a whole story behind it, and uh, this is not the scope of this session. The scope of this session is more to show you the kind of incentive structure and the legal framework who gave rise to the web as we know it uh, today. But there was this specific provision of the Communications Decency Act of 1996, which was a law passed by the United States Congress, which uh, actually, which provision, so the 230 section, section 230 actually specified that no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. In other words, this um, uh, provision actually created a sort of uh, immunity and it lowered substantially the liability or potential liability of anyone running a digital platform on the web. If you want, this is what gave rise to the kind of digital platform that we know today. In fact, Section 230 made possible in the first place to run dig digital platforms with user-generated content, which otherwise would have been quite impossible to run at scale because it would have been such the kind of liability or potential liability that a company, a digital platform, would have incurred that uh, this would have actually worked uh, as, as a disincentive to scale. So it doesn't mean that we, do, we wouldn't have had like digital platforms, it just means that in case there was no provision uh, 230, we would have probably had a different kind of digital platforms more skewed toward a curating content rather than aggregated content. So if you do understand that, you also do understand that uh, this sort of provision shaped the web as we know it today and actually uh, facilitated the, the, the development of two major industries that uh, actually dominated the web in the last 30 years. On the, worst, on the one side, the search industry, and then on the other side, the social media industry, and therefore two major players like Google, now Alphabet, and uh, Facebook, now Meta. So Section 230 really acted as a shield for online platforms and really brought uh, also to, as we see, to the ability of those platforms to build, uh, build what uh, we call today as an attention merchant. And it really also enabled uh, those platforms to actually uh, sustain at scale those uh, you know, digital user-generated um, uh, online platforms with an advertising business model, creating what I like to define an asymmetric business model, meaning a business model that could scale to billions of users by being subsidized by advertisers. So it's an asymmetric business model because from the standpoint of uh, the customer, if we look at the customer who pays the bill is not the same person who mostly uses the platform. So on one side you have a user who is mostly like a free user and then on the other side you have an advertiser who subsidizes the, uh, the platform cost for the free user. So again, this is not a judgment of uh, whether this has been good or bad. It's more like a, a judgment, uh, yeah, like a way to understand and frame the current context in which we are. And as you will understand going forward, this is also critical to understand how might the AI 
new generative AI landscape evolve in the future. So this is just like a sort of historical picture of uh, what happened uh, since the, uh, the provision section 230, how this influenced the, the, the birth of, uh, of, uh, of an incentive structure which gave rise to uh, major advertising business models and attention merchants like uh, Google and uh, Facebook in the first place. And let's remember that, uh, you know, again, the advertising business model has proved quite effective in the first phase of the web as we know it. So in the last 30 years to uh, actually bring a lot of free content to billions of users worldwide. And still it supports a huge amount of free content worldwide. So again, uh, this provision um, was uh, really the most important uh, legal framework of the last 30 years which gave a support and which created the sort of incentive structure of the web as we know it. It's important to understand the legal framework that we have today for the web to understand how things might evolve going forward because in the last 20-30 years we had the development of major digital platforms mostly skewed toward the user-generated content. Now another key example that we have about how regulation might have shaped the, 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 the technological industry just to give you a little bit of context of how uh, you know technology can shape regulation, but also how vice versa regulation can shape technology. So it's a sort of a, a feedback loop uh, where, uh, where you know, again, uh, depending on uh, uh, the kind of uh, historical context in which we are operating, uh, regulation can influence technology or vice versa. So another example that I like a lot is the example of IBM in the 80s that uh, due to uh, several antitrust investigations into the company monopoly in the PC, in the um, uh, computing industry, uh, actually was one of the, uh, the, the factors that influenced also EPM to actually enter the PC industry with an open architecture, which would eventually give rise to the next wave of big tech players and uh, you know of, uh, of companies like, for instance, Microsoft. So again, it's quite interesting to understand that sometimes technologies can be so powerful to actually uh, shape regulation, but um, in other cases, um, we also have uh, the the kind of scenario where. The, a legal framework, an existing legal framework can actually shape the technology. So just to say that there is not uh, a, a definite shape of technology, but it's more a matter of, uh, of understanding how both influence each other. Now, again, Section 230 enabled the rise of digital platforms for a few reasons, because again, it lowered the cost for uh, digital platforms to work at scale by enabling them to have a you know, much, much uh, lower, so a minimal liability when it came to content moderation, to uh, user-generated content, to a sort of uh, um, uh, protection against uh, defamation, and also as a sort of um, uh, way for those platforms to keep growing without having to exercise too much censorship on their own platforms which are all teams that right now are coming back uh, in, uh, in, uh, you know, as, as a discussion, as an open discussion on the web, because of course um, those major platforms right now are working at such a scale that it's quite hard not uh, to, you know, to, to, to give them uh, any longer this provision. And when it comes to Google, Section 230 was a key 
enabler of Google business model because first of all it enabled Google to become a search engine at scale in the first place because let's remember that the search engine uh, the first the main aim of the search engine is that of actually aggregating search results by using a mechanism of uh, crawling indexing and ranking of existing web pages that have not been created by Google but instead those have been created by publishers on the web and therefore it's not Google who is creating that content it's simply aggregating that content at scale through this algorithm of indexing or crawling indexing and ranking and therefore aggregating the results the same goes for again uh, advertising services uh, on top of Google because uh, you can sell advertising services on top of those uh, aggregation that you're doing with the search engine uh, as long as uh, again the content uh, that um, uh, you are distributing is not necessarily generated by you which also uh, lowers the potential liability that you have as a company so this is how Google business model came to be in the first place thanks also to uh, section uh, 230 now a question that we can ask here is uh, how would that the digital world look like without uh, section 230 and again this is not to say um, of um, uh, whether this was good or bad is more like to uh, to make a point about um, how uh, we could have had a different kind of landscape just uh, to understand the kind of unintended consequences that the regulation can have and can we assume that uh, if we didn't have section 230 then the liability or the potential liability of digital platforms when it came to actually user generated content would have been much, much, uh, you know, higher. And therefore, one, this would have worked as a disincentive to scale. And so we could imagine a scenario where instead of having just one major like search engine, we could have had a more fragmented scenario where we could have had like profitable companies, but uh, different, uh, you know, search engines. And the same goes for uh, social media platforms because that would have been like really a disincentive to scale. And so like probably a more diverse uh, ecosystem. But again, this is just uh, pure speculation because we don't know uh, how the ecosystem would have evolved without Section 230. Another possible thing is that instead of evolving toward the user-generated content, it may be that we would have had um, a progression toward a generative AI, which would have been much faster, who knows? Because, you know, if Section 230 created the, the sort of incentive structure for large companies, tech companies to actually uh, be successful by leveraging on user-generated content, why would you actually uh, invest and try to bring generative AI uh, to, to, to your core? Now, this opens up another um, key question, which is about uh, how will uh, things evolve in the future? So as of now, we are moving to a different kind of world as a, a generative AI takes over. We are moving to a world where we at platforms that at scale serve the user-generated content to actually platforms that right now are serving AI-generated content. So the question is, is Section 230 applying to uh, generative AI companies? Of course, as you can imagine, if you were a generative AI company like, for instance, ChatGPT, at consumer level, you would uh, try to make the point that uh, in your case, your generative AI technology is not making up new content, it's just, um, it's just actually a sort of uh, coming up with uh, uh, taking uh, content from uh, the, the uh, data on top of which it has been trained. But we know that this is a position which is very hard to defend because we know that one key feature of uh, LLMs, so of large language models, is the fact that they make up new content and also that it's very, very hard to track uh, 
uh, when uh, a content generated by uh, AI is actually, uh, you know, uh, new content or content that was uh, taken simply by the data set of the AI, also because the AI, the generative AI is going to reshuffle it in a way that is going to make it new anyhow. And so it's very hard to defend a position where a uh, consumer-based generative AI company like ChatGPT uh, is is uh, is going to be um, sort of um, um, you know sort of uh, applying uh, or being able to leverage on on section 230. So what I'm saying here is that is not the case. So for generative AI, it's very hard uh, at consumer level to make the case that the section 230 applies. Instead, of course, if you are a generative AI company, section 230 might apply only at API level, meaning that if you're OpenAI right now, you have a business model that works around two products. You have a consumer product, which is ChatGPT, and ChatGPT uh, generates content on a daily basis, which can be of any kind. And for that kind of the content, which is generated by ChatGPT, uh, it's very hard that you actually can convince the legislator that, uh, or the regulator that, um, or even like uh, the, the judge that uh, you um, are not producing no new content, and therefore, Again, you're not going to be able to leverage on Section 230, which means that if you are charged GPT, you're going to have a massive liability yes, if you scale to billions of users, because as you can imagine, it means that you're going to be quite responsible for the content generated within ChatGPT at a scale of billions of users, which is very hard. And this might create the sort of incentive structure where, of course, either you uh, prevent ChatGPT to becoming a tool that goes to billions of users, or if this is something that becomes inevitable, then it means that uh, actually what you want to do is you want to restrict uh, even more the kind of content that ChatGPT can provide to users uh, and therefore also create a sort of bias uh, for, for certain kind of content that is going to be produced by ChatGPT, which is going to, again, open up even more li liability because then users might sue uh, OpenAI to, to say that ChatGPT is, uh, is biased toward producing a certain type of content. So it's a very tricky scenario when it comes to the generative AI technology uh, provided at consumer level. So all tools that are available for consumers like ChatGPT or like Stable Diffusion or DALI, so all those tools are very, are very tricky because, again, here it's very hard to claim that uh, this is, uh, um, uh, you know, um, uh, user-generated content. Of course, there is another key thing here is that um, when a tool like ChatGPT is serving content directly to a final user, so a consumer, this content which is uh, getting served to the consumer, uh, ChatGPT and so OpenAI is going to be liable for it. Instead, if like a content publisher is going to take the content from ChatGPT and publish on uh, its own platform, then, of course, then you, there you can claim that uh, you, uh, Section 230 applies to ChatGPT in that scenario because, again, you're not responsible for the fact that someone is taking, copying the content from ChatGPT and then republishing without checking that. So it's easier for ChatGPT to prove that Section 30 applies to it. Now, that's an interesting point. So again, OpenAI has uh, two uh, souls inside its uh, business model. There is the consumer side, which is ChatGPT. And there, as I'm saying here, the main point, the central point that, that I want to make here is that it's very hard to prove that uh, actually Section 230 applies to ChatGPT as a consumer tool. On the other side, instead, and that's the interesting point, it's very easy, I argue, that uh, to, uh, for, for OpenAI to argue that Section uh, 230 applies to the API 
platform meaning that if you are openai you have the api platform uh, as you know you can call the api of openai and therefore use the underlying gpt4 model for now and all the existing new coming versions of it to build your own applications if you're doing that uh, you know uh, you are uh, you uh, the one that creates the application on top of openai llms so on top of gpt4 is going to be the responsible for the content or, uh, you know, the sort of application built on top of OpenAI. Of course, OpenAI is self-regulating itself by making sure that uh, its API can just be saved on a specific set of use cases. But then again, it's going to be much easier for OpenAI to prove that uh, it, uh, uh, like Section 230, does apply to its API platform because, again, it's not like those APIs are getting served directly to consumer um, on, a, on, a, on a direct basis, but those are getting intermediated by third-party applications that are developing independently so it's more similar scenario to the scenario of user-generated content that we have today on the web and in that case it's going to be much easier for companies like um, uh, again OpenAI to justify the application of section 230 so my main point here is that we're going to see most probably an incentive structure if the regulation stays as it is and section 230 does not apply to chat gpt but it does apply to the api platform we're going to see an incentive structure which is going to favor like uh, an api economy so an api economy means uh, an economy that is based on those large language models like gpt4 that will be uh, serving a whole ecosystem of different players in different vertical spaces and the different and uh, hundreds or like thousands of applications uh, on the on the web uh, to uh, power to be powered by those uh, foundational models so in a three-layered uh, system model where you have the foundational model like gpt4 you then have a middle layer that takes the foundational model like gpt4 and adapts it to a specific vertical so you're going to get the yellow layer, the accountant and more and more of this stuff and then you're going to get the applications, which is the last layer on top of it. So imagine any application from gaming to education that is going to leverage the API endpoint to actually serve an app to, uh, to a consumer audience. In those cases, as you can imagine, the API economy is going to be easily incentivized by the fact that it's much easier to justify Section 230 on the premise of this API economy. Now, if we go back to Google Business Model, the situation is quite tricky because again if you're google right now and if you're trying to integrate generate generative ai into search there are two ways that you can do it either you go you go and try to do it with a, a sort of integrating the chat interface into search but as i'll show you in a minute this is quite tricky so while this is a road that Microsoft has, uh, has uh, gone through uh, with, uh, with Bing, it's also true that Bing is much, much smaller, works at a much smaller scale. And uh, of course, Microsoft is going to face huge, massive liability in the future if uh, this Bing AI chat is going to end up being used by billions of users. Because, uh, again, as I'm saying here, it's very hard to justify Section 230 if you are running uh, an open, uh, unconstrained chat interface on, on, the, on, the, on the web. Of course, Microsoft uh, and Bing can always say that in a way this is restrained, that there is a whole technology behind, that there is an index and stuff like that. But in reality, it's very hard to actually 100% guarantee that the content produced by the chat, so by Bing AI, is content which is not new. It's very hard to do that. Of course, you can uh, always check, uh, but um, it's very hard to, to, to prove it at scale. So if you're Google, again, you have two ways, either to integrate AI 
uh, as a chat interface within search and this is not a good idea if you're Google let me explain why uh, and this would be like a simple implementation of BARD into search but this would be not a good idea because again it means that you cannot justify section 230 because it's very hard to justify an unconstrained chat interface into search because we're not talking anymore about user-generated content Instead, if you're Google, what do you want to do? And that's probably what Google is doing already. You want to enable generative AI uh, to be used sort of, sort of as a summarization tool. So uh, when Google, for instance, right now in the US tells you on certain queries, if you want to generate the, the, the answer via, via AI, Google can always say that this is a summarization of existing content. And if so, if this is a summarization of underlying content where Google is actually setting the sources exactly and telling you where this summarization is coming from, uh, it's uh, actually possible to claim that then Section 230 applies. Because as you can imagine, Google can say, you know, it's not like we're creating new content. We're simply using the AI to summarize existing underlying content. Of course, they will need to be able to prove that by making sure that their technology is actually uh, done, is actually implemented at a scale within search to summarize existing content and being able to precisely link back and also excise, uh, exactly a source, uh, give all the sources on top of which that summarization works was, was produced, which we know can be quite tricky again for large language models because at scale, we know that for how much technology you want to apply to actually match uh, and restrain those large language models just on the index, in reality, is going to always happen a scenario in which uh, those large language models will uh, make stuff up, meaning that they will create uh, content as a new. Uh, so again, it's going to be tricky, but Google has the technology to do that. But on the other side, if you are if you are running like an unconstrained uh, interface on the web, like ChatGPT, Bing AI, Bard, Cloud, in those cases, in all those cases, it's very hard to justify uh, the application of Section 230. So to recap a little bit what we said so far, I explained uh, how Section 230 was actually instrumental in creating the sort of incentives to uh, build the web as we know it today. And I know that it's weird uh, thinking that regulation can shape a technology, but again, this is uh, what it is. Uh, you know, technology can doesn't have a definite uh, shape uh, actually my argument if you uh, listen to the innovation paradox episode that explains that to me the best way to enable a technology to evolve is actually to do it uh, mostly with a top a bottom-up approach uh, which is mostly distributed and just with the global coordination so you have regulation which follows the technology because uh, in this way you let the technology develop in a way that can be used by as many players as possible on the market especially small businesses and you know i explained this in the innovation paradox uh, innovation paradox where i explain why this technically to me, is the most effective way to go because you leverage dispersed knowledge in the economy to actually figure out what the most effective and safest way to use a technology, contrary to conventional thinking where you need to centralize a technology or you need to constrain it with regulation to have it the best use case, which I don't think, not only I don't think is the case, I think actually you go in the opposite direction because when you uh, lead to monopolization of a technology, a technology takes a very bad shape, a bad shape that actually can constrain society a lot, just like in the case of AI, when it gets used as a surveillance 
tool at scale this is happening this might happen not because it's a technology that is uh, it's the shape of the AI technology it's because that's how uh, the, the 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 regulator and uh, mm, as as shaped the market so again the key point is we saw section 230 how this uh, shaped the technological landscape of the last 30 years how it incentivized the development of digital platforms toward skewed toward user generated content and we saw the rise of search engines and social media platforms how this also enabled uh, low liability for whoever was running for instance advertising business models with the rise of course of uh, the so-called attention merchants and we also saw how in this new development of generative ai if you're running a generative AI tool at uh, consumer level, it's very hard to justify the application of Section 230, and instead, it's uh, much easier to justify it when it comes to the AI, uh, to the API platform. Like, for instance, the case uh, I explained, the case of uh, of um, OpenAI, where ChatGPT served directly to consumer, is very hard to justify as um, you know being able to leverage Section 230. Instead. Uh, OpenAI uh, offering GPT-4 as a large language model on top of its API platform instead can uh, leverage much more easily Section 230 because you can always say that again the API endpoint is uh, is not going directly to consumer is getting intermediated by other businesses that then are serving this uh, uh, information provided by the API endpoint to end consumers so it's more similar as a framework to the user-generated content framework that we got with the um, section uh, 230 and last key point is about uh, the google business model how this uh, really was entrenched with this regulation the section 230 in the first place and uh, how if google wants to roll out generative ai at scale and it must do it because of course it's facing a huge uh, competition in the market it needs to be very careful the way it does it so again my suggestion is that google does not do that with uh, an unconstrained chat interface like uh, bing ai is doing right now because in the future it's going to be very hard to justify that uh, um, again that this uh, can uh, be um, um, part of uh, the section 230 framework of course if you're microsoft you can always say that the chat interface is not really open the user can uh, needs to click on it and therefore choose to uh, speak with the chat interface but still this uh, a constrained um, uh, an unconstrained interface and if you're google instead you want to go with the route where you use generative ai primarily as a summarization tool at scale where you can prove much more easily that uh, what the ai is producing is nothing new it's just uh, doing summarization on existing underlying content which is linking to and sources from sourcing from from each query that uh, so is not creating anything new it's just like summarizing stuff and this would be like a use case where google preserves at least the advertising business model that um, has uh, given rise to to uh, its um, you know uh, the, the the company's big tech Again, does it mean that uh, search uh, is going to be the main mode of consumption of content in the future? I don't think so. I think that search is going to become much, much smaller as uh, you know, we figured that uh, uh, chat uh, interface is much more interesting and we all suspected it for years. We just lacked a chat interface that could be dynamic enough for us to make it uh, uh, as interesting as possible. Uh, the, the key point here is just that, again, um, 
search is uh, completely changing and uh, you want to have generative AI integrated at scale within something like Google business model and I think an advertising business model as a companion for generative AI is possible but to do that you need to be able to leverage section 230 and to be able to leverage section 230 you need to, to create a use case where you can say that what the AI is doing is nothing new but is just actually pulling up content that uh, is uh, summarizing the underlying stuff that it found in the moment so each time a user uh, you know search for something the AI is not creating that anew so generating it actually is summarizing it so if you want more than generative AI this summarization AI but again this is one way forward and it's always interesting to understand how things are evolving what's the past the historic framework on top of which things develop and uh, what might be coming next